Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey, Dave, how are you today? I'm really good, Peggy. And you? Oh, really good, huh? I am not really good. I have a cold, so I'm going to complain a little bit. Okay, go ahead. I have a cold. Please, regale us. I will. I will. So last week after we recorded, um, not the same day, the next day, I was using my Instapot and it exploded. And I got second degree burns all over my hand and had to go to the ER. That's bad. That is bad. Um, So my hand really hurts. And then a few days ago, I tried to put on my liner and there was a huge hole in it and I can't walk in it. So now I'm hobbling around, um, contacted the insurance company, everything to try to get a new liner. And they're now requiring an x-ray to prove continued amputee status. So I'm like losing my damn mind over that because it's just driving me crazy dealing with the red tape. And now I have a cold. So that's the state of Peggy's life. It's kind of like a negative trifecta right there. It is. It is. Yes. How does an Instapot explode? It's not supposed to. (laughs) Oh, that isn't the design? (laughs) No. (laughs) I had no no idea. And I wasn't even touching it. I I was making mashed potatoes because I found out you can put potatoes in an Instapot, cook it for eight minutes, and they're done. And then all you have to do is mash them. And they were so good. So they were in the Instapot, and I was wiping down the counter next to the Instapot, and all of a sudden I heard a hissing, and then a loud pop, and then just steaming hot water and potato bits went everywhere, including all over my hands, all over my leg, just everywhere it was covered. Seems like there's a there's a litigation in there somewhere for a plaintiff's attorney. It was it was a failure of the ceiling system. So yeah, I was not happy. And you know, it, it I I had to go I had to go that night to get medical care because my hand just I mean, I thought, "Oh, you know, it'll be okay. I'm used to, you know, burning my hand." on whatever um but nothing like this i mean it immediately just started to boil and nasty yeah yeah not fun not fun at all not to mention the potato bits that are still everywhere through my kitchen because i can't get them all it's the gift that keeps on giving yes so we we no longer use the instapot in our house i've banned it (laughs) that seems like a wise decision yes All right. Well, I'm very sorry that you're a little under the weather and that you've had a crappy week. I have. Yes. So I'm kind of excited about today's topic because it's another one that's ripped from the headlines with a trending hashtag and it's a little bit more lighthearted. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about today. Yes, you found this one. This is one you identified. You sent me the article and I said, oh, this is interesting. So would you like to tee it up? Sure. Um, I found an article on NPR, actually, but now I've seen it quite a few different places. Um, and the hashtag is Abled's Are Weird. Um, and it's it's basically to raise awareness about the objectification of people with disabilities. So the, the, the lady who started this hashtag trend really is trying to start a dialogue about, about the strange things that that able-bodied people have done to individuals with disabilities in an attempt to help them, quote unquote. Um, So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss the issue of this online movement. We're going to talk about our personal experiences with having people um, 
you know, offer help that, that really wasn't solicited or actually needed, um, and our opinions about the hashtag. Great. So in terms of the sort of origin story here, uh, let's give credit to uh, the person who, who came up with this. It's a woman named Imani Barberin. And uh, Imani uh, it was born with cerebral palsy. She uses crutches. And she uh, started this apparently based upon a very specific childhood experience when she was swimming. And uh, like most of us who um, may have different disabilities, when you get in water, it's actually a great leveler, right? It, it's something where you actually feel more able because it's removing gravity from you. Um, nevertheless, even though she was perfectly capable of swimming and was swimming without any uh, any anxiety or trouble, um, uh, a, a guy threw her crutch into the pool so that she could presumably swim better. And um, this was, as she was thinking back on it, kind of became this formative experience that led her to believe that, uh, or led her to realize that this was not the only time it had happened. It happened repeatedly throughout her life. And she saw the hashtag, Abel's Are Weird, as a way for people with disabilities to share their similar uh, experiences and these interactions with each other. And uh, we actually, in our show notes, we, we included this quote from Amani. She says, people think anything is okay under the umbrella of thinking that they're helping disabled people, but we didn't ask for it, which is a really, you know, a completely valid point and um, gives rise to a number of examples, which maybe you want to walk through, Peggy, um, that are that are in the article itself, but they really highlight um the, the types of kind of insane behavior that people with disabilities sometimes uh, see. And um, we're going to talk as well about our examples of this, our, our experience with it. All right. So the one that really stuck out at me, Dave, was um, the woman who actually crawled under the bathroom stall um, in an effort to help somebody who was in a wheelchair on the adjoining stall um even though you know they didn't ask for help they certainly didn't need help um but this person was still just kind of assumed that they needed help and i can't imagine sitting on the commode and having somebody crawl up underneath and be like hey you know how can i help you a few things (laughs) creepier than the thought of that happening and like can i help right i mean just insanity flying solo here got this down (laughs) (laughs) exactly right i could find my way in i'll find my way out um and then there was an example of somebody um who was deaf and with a hearing impairment whose professor um didn't like a paper and said that actually deaf people can't write english like that um and that really kind of leads into that whole stereotype as well yep sure does so peggy have you had any any experiences that are, if not quite that egregious, that you think sort of fall into this category of behavior? You know, I, I've i been thinking about this all day since we decided that we were going to talk about this topic. Um, and I'm not – it definitely is not along the line of under the stall door, okay? But when I was pregnant with my oldest, we took the childbirth class – and through the whole thing, they were talking about, you know, you can labor on a ball, you could labor, you know, on a yoga mat, you can labor in a jacuzzi tub, you can do all of these things. And this, the whole time this teacher was very, you know, kind of berries and granola type, like no medication, nothing. And she just came over to me and she's like, but, but you just have the epidural deal, you'll be fine. 
So it was like everybody else could labor through it, but the person with one leg just drug her and she'll get through it. Um, that really stuck with me. It really, you've, you know. You've suffered enough, Peggy. <laughs> exactly. But it was almost like, well, you can't possibly labor like every other mom. So just, right. you know, here, I felt like I was being patted on the head. Yep. Um and then when Timmy was born, he's my youngest, um, he was born, he was a preemie. And after he was born, I I was in the hospital room and I, I had my leg on and I walked over to the little bassinet to pick him up. And the nurse absolutely insisted that I was not allowed to stand and hold my child at the same time. But my husband was allowed to. And it was because she felt like I couldn't be safe holding a baby while using a prosthetic. Huh. And that one really bothered me. And this was this was not the same day. Like if it was the same day, I would understand because I actually am very pro epidural. So, you know, numb me up as much as you can was my whole philosophy. So I could understand not really walking right after that. But this was not that day. And I had been walking around the hospital room and through the hospital. But she just kind of had the assumption that somehow I was not going to be as safe. Um, and that really, really bothered me. As it should. Yeah, I've I've had instances of um, you know when I was using crutches, people would just take my crutches and move them, um, and then actually like I would be on like an office chair and just automatically start rolling me over to a different off like a conference room for a meeting. I'd be like, you know, I can walk. Just give me back my crutches and I can get there. Um, right. But they basically would turn the office chair into like a little makeshift wheelchair and push me where I needed to go. That one really bothered me. Yeah, that it, it should. It's so. But they didn't mean anything. None of these things, you know, the, the granola birth coach, she didn't mean to, to, be disparaging right she really thought well if you can't labor on a ball just you know you'll be fine just take the drugs everybody else was natural 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 but i think that she just maybe wasn't secure enough in her own teaching skills to be able to give me other options rather than squatting on a ball right um the nurse i i don't know what the nurse's issue was um why she didn't feel like i was safe holding timmy when he was born. Um, and quite honestly, I was, I was too, you know, uh, postpartum to, to really think of that objectively. Um, and pushing the chair, I really think that they were just trying to be helpful, right? It was a, well, you have to get there, you know, your crutches are over there because they move them, um, which don't ever do that. Just if you're listening to this podcast and you see somebody with crutches or a wheelchair or any kind of adaptive mobility aid or any kind of aid, just don't touch it. Don't put wheelchairs places. Don't move crutches places. Don't take knee scooters away from people. Just don't touch it. Or if you're going to touch it, at least ask first. Right, right. But don't yeah. – th that's what I mean. Don't like, you know, steer somebody, you know – away or, or think that you're going to help them by pushing them where they need to go. Cause just don't do that. So let me ask you this, Peggy, cause I, you know, when I read the article and then I started thinking, do I have anything that I can think of? And I actually don't. And then when I reread the article, one of the things that occurred to me was all of the examples and all of the people who were citing them were female. Mm -hmm. And that led me to wonder 
is there some gender bias that is inherent in this type of behavior? Is this something that affects women with disabilities more than men? And obviously, I'm a sample size of one. So it's I, I don't want to draw any conclusions based upon the fact that I can't think of anything. And it's entirely possible that something happened and I've just blocked it out or that it didn't register with me. But what are your thoughts about that? I think so. I think that, in, especially in our society, women are still s- seen as more approachable for assistance, right? People aren't going to go up to a male, usually, even a male on crutches or using a prosthesis or in a wheelchair and make an assumption about their abilities. Where women, I think, are still facing the stereotype of, we're weaker to begin with. We're more vulnerable to begin with. So therefore, this is a double whammy. So let me help them. Right. Right. Yeah, I I have to believe that there is something to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also people come up to me all the time. And we've talked about this, Dave, where they come up to me and, you know, say the most wild things um, just in pure conversation that, that I don't think that they would ever dream of saying to you in a similar situation. Yeah. You know, you remind me of my three-legged dog. Um, you know, uh, that's a really cool leg. I, you know, um, you should have prayed harder and you could have kept your other leg. I mean, just all of this stuff I hear all the time. Um, and I don't think you hear it because you wouldn't go up to a man and say that, right? But somehow it's still okay to come up to a woman and say that. Yeah, well, I, I can't even fathom what I would do if someone came up to me and said any of those things to me. I mean, it's just, it is absolutely beyond comprehension. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of gender, I just, I don't, I truly don't understand what goes on in a person's brain. But let's, let's, let's shift to talk, you know, you are, you're a social media specialist, you live, eat and breathe uh, that world. Um, What do you think about the hashtag and uh, both about just in terms of how effective it is, and then the broader implications of it? Well, I mean, I think it's definitely an effective hashtag because it got us talking about it, right? And that's the whole purpose of these hashtags is to really bring awareness. So it's not a hashtag that's kind of kitschy to the point where people aren't taking it seriously. And I think it's bringing a, a level of what it's like to live with a disability in this society to the forefront of, of people's conscious. And it's, it's getting them talking about it. So even if one person learns, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, or maybe next time I should do it this way, um, then I think it's been effective. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I think I think sharing these stories in general is a really good thing. And I think what it does is it forces anyone who sees it, um, who's able-bodied, it really forces, it reframes, I think, what your, maybe your reflexive reaction is. Because let's, you know, no matter how inappropriate the, the end behavior ends up being, let's be fair, the, the underlying motivation at some level is to help. Now, whether or not that's a healthy thing and whether that's a, whether that motivation is fueled by the right, um, the right, I don't know, underlying drive is very debatable given some of these examples. But, um, you know, forcing people to think about why might you 
want to react that way and why might you want to help somebody who hasn't asked for help, I think is really important. Um, and the stories in the article, Peggy, are so over the line. I mean, it's just, it, it's clear that it's not appropriate. It's offensive. Um, and it's really putting the person with a disability in an incredibly awkward situation. And if you turned the tables uh, on the other person, they would clearly not be happy with that. Um, so, you know, I, the thing I guess I struggle with a little bit here is that the impulse to help others isn't a bad thing. We need more people in society generally trying to help people. Uh, because we have precious little of that, it feels like today. Um, but when that crosses over into helping people who haven't asked for help, who clearly don't need help, um, and really results in the objectification of those people, that is th that's the boundary in my mind where you know you you create real problems, and you're, now you're not helping anybody. You are you're sort of on your own vendetta that is sort of trampling on other people's emotions and rights. Yeah, you know, Dave, and this isn't an issue that's, you know, just relevant to individuals with disabilities. I was talking with my mom about this article, and she's had experiences as she's getting older. People see a senior citizen, and they have the same kind of gut reactions. You know, they've taken her shopping cart and started pushing it for her. She, yep. she didn't need that done. Um and again, I agree with you. I don't think that deep down, I don't think that people mean to be offensive. I think that it's a gut reaction and it's it's the the hero syndrome in a way of I'm going to take care of this. I can do this. And But the last thing I want to do, and I think the danger of this type of hashtag is that it could potentially you know, have a reverse effect where people stop helping and we don't want to become a society of people who, who are blind to those who, who need assistance or to when a little bit of help or assistance or caring or patience might be beneficial. We don't want to set it up to the point where people are afraid to reach out and people are afraid to do nice things for each other either. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I guess I, I didn't think of this and I didn't include it in the show notes, Peggy, but I, I think, you know, there's a very simple solution to a lot of this, which is if you're unsure, if you want to help somebody, just ask them, would you like some help or do you need any help? And they'll tell you, per, the other person will tell you yes or no, I'm fine. Thanks. And then you fulfilled whatever, whatever need you have inside you to make sure that you are being friendly and, and trying to care about other human beings. And you're not trampling on anybody's rights in the process. Exactly. Always just ask and be kind, right? Because that's the moral of, of just about everything with this conversation is if you want to help ask, be kind, do it with a smile. And if the person says, no, thank you. Okay. Have a nice day and keep going. Don't yep. push it. Don't be like, no, 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 I want to help you. I want to help you. You have to trust if the person says they don't need help, you have to trust that they mean they don't need help. They may do something a little bit differently. It may take somebody a little bit longer or it may look peculiar the way that something is adapted for the person to do it. But if they want to do it on their own, let them do it. Yep. Fully, fully agree with that. I think that's a that's a really good way to kind of close this out. Do you want to sort of summarize real quickly the the main takeaways we have from this? So the hashtag Ables are weird. It hi does highlight a really important issue, which is the objectification of individuals with disabilities under the guise of "I want to help you." Um, 
And that really, if you go even a level deeper, it's, you know, I know that you're disabled, so therefore you need me. Therefore, I have to help you. Um, and it's a very, very um, out there way to really highlight some of these abuses that are going on. And, you know, it is when you crawl under a stall, ba- uh, you know, a, a stall door in a bathroom, that's invasive. That's just wrong. But this stuff happens. So it's a way to kind of bring it all out and to get the conversation going. Um, Dave and I think, although, you know, this is just the two of us, we would love to hear what our listeners feel about this, that gender is definitely at play with this, that people are much more likely to see the female with a disability as more vulnerable and more in need of assistance than the male with disability. Um, And again, let us know, info at ampedlife.org, let us know what you think. Um, or you can drop us a line in our community, which is ampedlife.com. Fantastic, Peggy. Thanks for that summary. I think it's a it's a great issue. It's one that I hope I hope we get some feedback from the community about it because it like I said, it's it's not one that I've had a lot of personal experience with, and I would be very interested in in seeing in particular from the responses we get, are they weighted on a gender basis more and, and are there really egregious examples of this? And if we get, if we do get stories to this that are compelling, we'll, we'll circle back to this one in our next podcast and just share, share that feedback. Absolutely. This is a fun one, Dave. I like doing them when they're really contemporary and kind of ripped from the headlines. Yeah. Well, thank you for finding it. All right. It was great talking to you. Have a great rest of the week. You too. Take care. Bye.